And thank you, Lord, because you are just helping us to understand what are the, this transformation of our lives to become saved by, by you. Thank you, Father, because you think, you thought in our souls from the beginning of all times. B'shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. That was a good one. I remember the day, man, you guys danced for about, I don't know, two hours? When was it? It was good. Yeah, I'm not, I have my, my feet are like square. I can't dance. I'm a very weird Hispanic. Uh, can you let me drive in the thing, please, uh, Antonio? Huh? Can't drive with this thing. Ooh, can't work without this, without this. It's just not, oh, okay, it's, it's not getting there for some reason. Huh? These things have got many hands. And only Antonio can fix it, I think. Yay. All right. Anyhow, I, I got to explain to you about the month because um, I have many questions about this and I keep explaining it. It really doesn't... Um, okay, it's like in our Roman, Greco-Roman calendar, every day and every month of the Greco-Roman calendar, pertains to a god or a pagan god or whatever. Juno, uh, Saturni, uh, uh, I mean, every day. Uh, Mars, uh, Mercurio, which is uh, Wednesday, Sunday, hello, <laughs> you know, <laughs> the day of the sun, Dominicus, which means the day of the god's son. Well, in, in the Jewish calendar, we also have these, uh, these names coming from the, uh, not necessarily, thank you, not necessarily from the Greco-Roman world, but from the Babylonian world, which is almost the same thing. Uh, and so the question is, the, or the concern is about the name of this month. The name of this month is Temuth. So I should explain in a nutshell before I start. Um, as you all know, all the names of the Jewish calendar are based on Babylonian names. Okay, all this happened after the Babylonian captivity. They were 70 years in the Babylonian uh, cities. Seven zero. Uh, yes, 70. And so after that 70 years, they came back. So this 70 is a generation in, in, in Jewish thought. Uh, 40 and 70 are generations, okay? And they got sets of 40s, 40, 40, 40, 70, 70, and so on. It's, it's not a mystery. It's just the way they counted for God. God is out of space and time. Yes. This counting is for us to understand a lot of things. And so we are creatures that we like to fit into societies. When we move to a different society, we like to fit in. We like to know. When I travel, I like to know what's going on in the environment. 
And I like to do things accordingly that are not contradicting my faith at the same time. Uh, in foods, drinks, and, and days, festivals, and I just like to learn things. So keep in mind, you are two weeks in, in, a, in an island. And so you, you, you'll know things about that island, uh, a little bit of it, not the, an entire culture, but you'll know things about it. Or you can just Google it up and learn things, you know. You just learn things by just reading of them, not by being there. So these 70 years they were in Babylon, and so they, they got a lot of their cultural background and, and, and religious background and language. Uh, keep in mind that... Uh, how many years we've been in United States of America? I mean, how many, how old is United States of America? 240, right, more or less. It's new. It's new. I mean, how long they were, the Jewish people were in Egypt? 400 years. I mean, entire generations lost their track of whatever, you know, they, they just lost it. And so our children, when they're born here, they lost their culture as well, I mean, they, they, or they become multicultural. It depends on how you raise them. And so, uh, this is what's happening here. So, Tammuz is not an exception. Whoever, uh, this is also the name of a Sumerian or Babylonian god. That's, that's what people get, like, ooh, oh no, this is the name of a god. So, it's Monday. <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, uh, Thursday, uh, January, February. I mean, all the months are, are dedicated to a God. And so, um, and we keep saying them. And not only that, we know the holidays of this Greco-Roman calendar like this. Like, what's tomorrow? Hello, right? <laughs> Happy Independence Day, by the way. If not, we have people like Audrey who let us, who remind us today, you know. <laughs> She'll remind us what's going on. Oh, yeah, it's Independence Day, definitely. And so, you know, we know those days, and that's nothing wrong with that, but what I'm saying is don't get freaked out when you see these kinds of names. We have to keep in mind that this is not the official name of the month. Biblically, this month is referred to as the fourth month, which is counted from Nisan, the first month. You may ask, why we use the Babylonian, Babylonian names in, on the Jewish calendar? I found some sources that you might find interesting. I mean, there's tons of sources, but I'm just going to refer to the Jerusalemi Talmud in Rosh Hashanah 1. They have a very interesting commentary in the statement, the names of the month came up with us from Babylon. They said that the reckoning of the month was originally a memorial of the exodus from Egypt, based on the relation of the month on the first month of spring. And that's why the biblical counting is first month, second month, etc. When they returned from Babylon and based on the accomplishment of the prophecy of Jeremiah, in his book, chapter 16, 14, 15, they began, began to call the month by the names commonly used in Babylon as a reminder of God's faithfulness. 
So he says, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the, the Lord, when it shall not longer be said, as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But as the Lord lives, who brought up the people of Israel out of the north country, and out of all the countries where he had driven them, for I will bring them back to their own land that I gave to their fathers. So they began to call the month by the names commonly used in Babylon as a reminder of this prophecy. Now, for some of you, this explanation might not be enough. Because the moose is the name of an idol that was worshipped in the ancient Near East. And really, I don't know if it's being worshipped today, even today, it might be. The sages comment that this name has, was chosen on purpose to remind the Jewish people of the judgment that comes from idolatry. So as soon as they, they, they hear Tammuz, uh-oh, idolatry, i got to be away from it. And we're going to talk about these issues. Uh, uh, we're going to talk about spring and summer, because the, the months are like three and three, uh, according to the seasons. So spring brings us some thoughts about those days. And now in summer, if you realize there's not biblical festivals, okay, there's a commemoration, which is the 17th of Tammuz, and we're, gonna, we're about to start the three weeks of sorrow, or the three weeks of admonition. So beginning, uh, the, the judgment from this idolatry is beginning with what? The golden calf. All these things happen probably on Tammuz, or on fourth month. Uh, this incident, and later with the secret cult worshipping high places that eventually led to the destruction of the temple. So in the Bible, the word Tammuz is mentioned in Ezekiel 8.14. The term denotes a Babylonian god and the sin of idolatry, which caused the destruction of the first temple. The month of Tammuz is referred to as the fourth month in Jeremiah 39.2. Joshua caused the sun and the moon to stop. This brought about 36 uninterrupted uninterrupted hours of sunlight in order to give the conquering army of Israel time to exact vengeance from their enemy, the Amorites. That's Joshua 10, 12, 13. The battle in which the sun stood still took place in Gibbon in the Ayalon Valley in the central Israel. So that's the, you know, a short explanation. I have so many, but some of them are just kind of a little out there, so I don't want to go there. So the, the fastest explanation, or the easiest, the simplest, is that, you know, all these months are referred to remind us something, not to worship the days, not to, like, we are celebrating the, the new moon, but we are not worshiping the moon. All right, it's, it's a different thing. We don't worship anything, any item, anything. We don't, we don't worship the, the scroll of the Torah, for instance, but the word that is in there, you know, so it's a different, it's a different thing. So Tammuz, during the summer season, there are not any festival, any biblical festival, we know that. So this is the month of Tammuz on the Jewish calendar. It's called the fourth month on the biblical calendar. Traditionally, is the month in which you guard your heart to worship, to watch your spiritual progress, 
and it's also a time of, of vision. So you, you become kind of your eyes are more open, your spiritual eyes are more open, your, your, uh, uh, you kind of guard yourself from different things, and I'm going to tell you why eventually. The month of Tammuz marks the beginning of a season of Teshuvah, repentance. During the three weeks of sorrow, we humbly ask the Lord to help us turn to Him with all our minds, hearts, and bodies. That's why we pray. Amen. May it be your will, Lord, our God and God of our fathers, that you renew for us a good month in our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Amen. The summer season just started at for 2019 of the secular calendar on Friday, June 21st. So that was a few days ago. A few days ago. And ends on Monday, September the 23rd in this secular year of 2019. So there's a book I'd like to show you. Uh, after the class, we can talk about this book. And for you, the, the virtuals, just let me know, and I'll send you a picture. This is a great book. Uh, the writer, of course, is not a believer in Yeshua, but it gives us very good insights about the month. It's from Rav Dober Pinson, The Month of Tammuz and Av. I'm going to take some of these uh, lines, and I'll talk to you about that. Um, each month of the year radiates with distinct quality and provides unique opportunities for personal growth and illumination. Accordingly, every month has a slightly different climate, climate and represents a particular stage in the story of the year, as expressed through the annual cycles of nature. The winter month call for practices and pursuits that are different than those of the summer month. Some months are filled with holidays and some have only one or none. Each month, therefore, has its own natural and spiritual signature. According to the deeper levels of the Torah, each month's distinct qualities, opportunities, and natural phenomena correspond to a certain set of data arranges within a 12-part symbolic structure. The spiritual nature of each month is therefore articulated according to its unique, unique entries for each of the 12 data points. And that's include the name of the Lord, a verse of the Torah, a letter of the Aleph Bet, uh, the name of the month, the exper experimental sense, a sign, a uh, tribe of Israel, a body part, an element, a unit of successive Torah portions that are read during the month, a season of the year, and the holiday that occurred during the month. We're going to discuss one or two of these. By reflecting on these 12 theme, themes and categories, uh, an ever-ascending spiral of insight, Understanding and practical action becomes revealed. Learning to navigate and harness the nature of change and being truly engaged with the cycles of time adds a deeper sense of purpose and heightened presence of our lives. 
Can you understand that? Neither do I. Don't worry about it. The Mons of Tammuz transforming negativity through positive vision. The Mons of Tammuz contains the longest and some of the hottest days of the year. The natural world is a perfect reflection of the spiritual world. In other words, the physical mirrors are the physical mirrors the spiritual. Thus, if the bios biosphere considered for our purposes from the perspective of the northern hemisphere, which includes the land of Israel, boils with intense and uncomfortable heat into moose. It reflects the fact that it is spiritually the harshest time of the year as well, the most difficult one. This physical revelation of a spiritual harshness can be a source of stress, chaos, destruction, and dysfunction. So if you are already dysfunctional, this is worse for you. So <laughs> just like a man. All right. The moose is understood as the month in which the beginning of all destruction occurs. It is thus the headquarters of divines and decay, as it were, a time honored spiritual response to destruction is to fast, whether communally all or, or individually. In the Tanakh, Torah, prophetic, and scriptural, scriptural writings, Tammuz is a month explicitly related to fasting. That's in Zechariah 8.19, which it says, at the nights of a hot says, the fast days, and so it's mentioned the fast days. Even though these fast days are not commanded by God, the Jewish, he will honor what they were doing for, for, you know, they were fasting for him. And so he will mention these, these fasting days uh, for specific reasons. And so you see there, the Knights of Ahol says, and this is part of the prophecy, the fast days of the fourth, which is... Uh, the 17th of Tammuz, the 5th, 7th, and 10th months, we're going to talk about that in another opportunity, are to become times of joy, gladness, and cheer to the house of Yehuda. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. So these are the days, these days are specific for us to fast. Sometimes people fast a lot and they don't know what they do in it. But this month is really more ought to, for us to fast, you know, because we, we need to be more aware of what's going on around our environment. And so the, uh, the meaning of this is that not only are particular days within Tammuz connected with fasting, so the month as a whole is thus understood as a spiritually dangerous time in which one must be extra cautious and conscious of the ramifications of their actions. From an inner perspective, the heat of Tammuz also contains the potential for powerful transformation, positive heat, and illuminating light. Naturally, physical heat fosters emotional heat, which can intensify a desire for purely physical gratification. On the other hand, we always have the choice and the ability to elevate a base desire to, it, 
to its roots within the spiritual dimension, where all is truly beneficial. This rerouting and rerouting of desire and its psycho-behavioral ripple effects is a primary focus of our spiritual work during the month of Tammuz. This is very important. What is coming is very important. Hot weather makes people what want to expose more of their body, even if only in a modest way. People also tend to socialize more in the summer than in winter. They go out with friends, meet new people, and travel to new places. This greater exposure and interaction can exacerbate sensual desires, especially in those who have not refined their way of seeing and relating to others as will be exposed. So we need to be aware, we need to be, be very careful on those things, especially when you travel. You go to a place where no one knows you, right? Should I get a couple more mojitos and, you know? Yeah, be careful, people. Desire and jealousy both correspond to the summer month of Tammuz and Av, respectively. When desire is arose, so it's its companion, jealousy. When a person's eyes see what does not belong to him, his heart may not, nonetheless desire it. When people cannot receive or achieve what they desire, they can become jealous, envious, and even full of rage. Therefore, when the heat of summer sets in, we must work to integrate the potentially harsh energies of Tammuz properly in order to remain free from har harmful desire, jealousy, and anger. Eyes, the eyes are the source of desire and thus jealousy. We desire only what we see. That's in Sota 8a. What we want and desire is dependent of the things we observe. Hashem says, if you give me your eyes and heart, I will know that you are mine. This is good. I like to repeat this. Hashem says, if you give me your eyes and heart, I will know that you are mine. Eyes and heart. This is in Jerusalem, Berachot 1.5. The eyes are the filters that bring both conscious and subliminal information into our system. In the month of Tammuz, we need to work on rectifying our eyes to counteract negative tendencies and cultivate positive vision in order to see without jealousy. This will allow us to begin to create a, a tikkun. What is a tikkun? A repair, a healing. Healing and repair for our desires, a process which will be further engaged during the following month of Av. So all these months are connected to each other. Uh, Why we're moving from the spring months of Nisan, Nisan, Iyar, Sivan, all of them got a purpose. Throughout the preceding three months of spring, we experience a progression of personal, psychological, and a spiritual evolution. The first month, Nisan, evokes gratitude, gratitude and humility with the reception of the unearned gift of miraculous freedom. 
Hashem took us out of slavery by the scruff of our neck, as were, with a strong arm and outstretched hand. We did nothing to attain our freedom other than submit to the war and will of Hashem. In this way, we become conscious of the presence and power of the divine you in our lives. So that you will submit to him. You, me, is submit to him. The cosmic other beyond ourselves, whom we may encounter and engage throughout our life. Accordingly, the work of Nisan is focused on acknowledging and appreciating this you in all its manifestations. In balance, humility, however, can tend toward humiliation and sense of worthlessness or nihilistic self-nullification. To rectify this unbalance, the second month of spring ER inspires a polar opposite manifestation, a strong self-expression and sense of personal will. Through our daily counting of the Omer, we gradually refine our vessels to receive the infinite light of the Torah. Isn't it beautiful? I'm starting to get in it. I've been reading it for a while, so... <laughs> Following the awakening, awakening from above that we experience in Nisan, we self-generate an, an awakening from below during the month of Iyar and preparation for the revelation of Sinai. Therefore, the month of Iyar is largely focused on, on expressing and evolving the I. That's another thing. The you was first. And the ER is the I. The third month of spring, Sivan, help us harmonize and unify these opposite energies, the you, the I, of humility and self-worth, creating a space in which you, you and I both exist. Illustrated by, a, by its astrological sign of Gemini. This is for the ones who... It, that's another issue that I don't want to talk about it now. But this is the twins. The three modes of identity evoked by these three spring months. You, you, I, and we. When not properly balanced, can manifest as their respective distorted counterparts. You, jealousy. I am jealous of what you have. Then the I. The I can be a false desire. I want my desires to be fulfilled. And then the we, attachment to honor. I want to give you honor, but only if you order, but only in order that I will receive honor. So this is like selfishness. In the hot summer, uh, months of Tammuz, Av, and Ilul. Remember, we got, we got a, this is the uh, in, introspection period of time. Loosely corresponding to July, August, and September. We have to be especially aware of each of these three forces and work on refining and rebalancing ourselves. In Tammuz, we work with Kina, jealousy. In the month of Av, we work with Ta'ava, false desire. In Elu, we deal with kavod, attachment to honor. These, in general, 
overview of our spiritual development in relation to the turning of the seasons as we move from spring to summer. Now, we also read, we got to keep in, in mind these total portions we read. Over the course of a month, the community reads, the whole community, not just an individual. If you're a part of a community, you should be reading these portions. The community reads four or five weekly Torah portions. These, these individual portions can be combined and viewed as a single unit based on the particular month in which they have most commonly read. Indeed, one finds when viewing the parshas or parshot through this calendric lens, the outstanding arrays of thematic elements consistent with the spiritual energy of the months are revealed. Approx uh, appropriately, we find that the sight and jealousy are the two main themes of this month's Torah portion, namely, Shelach Lecha. We just read Shelach Lecha. And that's a big, that, that was a big problem of the sight and jealousy. Right? Remember? What is that about? It's about the, the bad report. Remember? A bad report. They went and saw the land. But they saw it into their own perspective, not in the perspective of the Lord. And then you have Korach. Korach is rebellion. It's about the same thing. You know, Korach so the high priest, and he wanted to be like him. Jealousy, envy, envy, and so many other things. Hukat, and then Balak. Balak is one of the... Whew. So in Shalach Lecha, let's review a little bit. On Shalach Lecha, or the case of the bad report by the ten scouts, or the infamous ten spies, as we saw in the class, that they're not spies, they're scouts. Remember that. And, uh, uh, you know, I explained in the class why. Moses sent the scouts, called Meraglim, spies, to see the land. They saw the land, to see the land. Numbers 13, 18. They report seeing a place which they not, they not desire. How come you can see the place the Lord is giving you and you're not going to desire it? That was the thing. That's 32, 33. Most of the actual seeing of the land took place during the month of Tammuz. Moses wanted them to have a positive spiritual vision of the land of Israel and to thereby affect the land positively, in a positive way. Baba Matra 56a. They were actually meant to acquire the land by looking at it. They did the reverse, however, and by focusing on the negative, they prolonged their acquisition of the land and made the process that much more difficult for themselves. They die immediately after the rebellion, those ten princes. Then, we read, then we're going to read, this week we're going to read Parsha Korach, another interesting uh, portion. Korach is jealous of Moses and Aaron. His vision, again, the vision of reality is skewed as he focuses only on the negative within others. The negative within others. That's a big problem. 
Korach is a classical example of a person with great leadership potential, but took the wrong decisions. The sages tell us that Korach was a wise man. He was selected to be one of the few who were spiritually prepared to carry the Ark of Covenant. In fact, according to some rabbis, out of the whole tribe of Levi, or Levi, Korach had the most potential. This is a huge compliment, especially if we take into account that Moses and Aaron themselves were of the tribe of Levi. However, Korach initiates a dispute with Moses and ends up being swallowed by the earth. So what went wrong? Do you think that, that a similar situation could happen in our congregation and our congregations or communities today? Not in Bethel and I. I don't think that will happen. I don't think so. We are, we are good enough. We don't do that, right? As members of the body of the Messiah, what can we do to avoid, to manage such kind of situations? What can we do? We're going to talk about it eventually. Then we have Hukat. Parsha Hukat begins with the laws of the Para Aduma, the red heifer, a ritual designed to bring purity and clarity to those who have been in contact with death. Hukat also mentions the copper snake. Again, what do they do with the copper snake? See it, a visual image which healed those who were bitten by vipers. Numbers 21.8. The bronze snake was held high so that uh, as people raised their eyes and gazed at the snake, they were really looking upward towards heavens. That's in Rosh Hashanah 3.8. This redirection of their vision helped them turn their lives around toward the source of life and thereby gain healing and protection for negativity. This portion describes the mysterious laws of the Rehefer ceremony, the sad story of Moses striking the rock, which happens in Tammuz, by the way. Uh, the stories of death of Miriam and Aaron, very sad stories, and the wars with the Amorites, then concludes with Israel encamping on the edge of the promised land. Very sad, because they had to wait 40 more years. Then we read Balak. Persia Balak is about negative vision. Balak, the jealous king, envisions cursings, envisions cursing the people of Israel. Bilam, the dark prophet. Keep in mind, Bilam is not a false prophet, he's a dark prophet. Bilam or Bilam. It's a, it's a, okay, Bilam is English, Bilam is Hebrew. <laughs> And Espanol as well. <laughs> uh, Bilam or Bilam, the, it depends on your accent, is the dark prophet. And the rabbis tell us that he has a blind, he's blinding one eye, meaning he has an eyeing harah, an intentional, and intentionally looks for negativity in order to amplify and exploit, exploit for its benefit. He liked the money. He liked money. He sees, sees money, he likes it, he takes it. According to the Zohar, another uh, traditional writing, 
Whatever his eye will look, it will cause destruction. However, in the end, despite his intentions, Balaam sees only the positive in the people of Israel camped in the desert before him and gives them the loftiest of blessings. But Midbar 24.4 This king who hires a false prophet named Balaam or Bilam to curse Israel and then we're going to see the talking donkey and Balaam ends up blessing Israel. Have you realized this? It doesn't he doesn't get scared when his donkey talks to him. He talks back to him like normally, like, yeah, yeah, what's up? Okay, I'll be freaking out. I'll be, if my dog speaks, I have a dog that almost talked to me in the morning. It's like, well, well, well. What the heck? <laughs> you know? This guy doesn't freak out at all. This year, we're going to read Portia Pinchas as well in this month. And with this, in this year, uh, uh, the three weeks of sorrow initiates with, with Parsha Pinchas. Pinchas sees great negativity occurring in the community, including licentious behavior and idol worship. Now, this guy, he sees the negativity, but he wants to fix it, which is, is, is kind of very, very interesting. But he also maintains a higher vision of who the people of Israel can be. He therefore takes a radical, even violent action in order to break the spell and stop the plague from spreading through the camp. Because of his radical response, he is indeed able to stop the plague. However, following his complicated but heroic action, he is then blessed with a brief shalom, a covenant of peace. One wonders whether this blessing was in some way a tikkun for Pinchas, a violent response to the situation, especially during the month of Tammuz, when we are focused on uh, or too intently or not letting the heat of the season overwhelm or push us in destructive directions, we can more clearly see the complexity of Pinchas's story. Um, we're going to see more careful in the class, but you know what he was doing, what these people were doing, and that's why he killed him. His reception of the covenant of peace following such an episode process a stubble commentary to his particular handling of the situation, no matter how efficacious he was in the moment. So again, this year, uh, the Haftara reading is uh, the beginning of the three admonitions. God establishes his covenant with Pinchas. Uh, they move to number. These important events are going to happen in this month. Zom Tammuz, 17 of Tammuz, and the three weeks of sorrow or admonition, they're going to start with Parsha Pinchas. Let's talk a little bit about the 17th of Timuth. According to the traditions, during this month of 17th, Israel seen by making a golden calf. As a result, Moses broke the first set of luchot, or tablets, uh, giving them to him by God. On 17th of Timuth begins a three-week week period that ends on the 9th of Av, which commemorates commemorates the destruction of the third temple in Jerusalem. 
uh, not the third temple, destruction of the first and second temple. On this month, Moses sent the, the, the scouts to the promised land to see what was there, and they present, presented a bad report to the people according to the tradition. They returned on the evening of the ninth of Ab. Uh, on 17th of Temuth, it's a fast day. By the way, we're going to do something special this year. Uh, I'm going to be in charge. Woohoo! in charge of the uh, prayer uh, team, which is going to happen on 9th of Av, and it's going to be here, I believe. So we're going to kind of celebrate the 9th of Av. We're going to fast. If you can fast, if you cannot, do not fast, please. And we're going to do a couple, um, a couple of, I'm going to explain on the month of Av what we're going to do. We're going to do the traditional way of doing it. We're going to sit on the floor. We're going to read some verses. We're going to pray on the floor, sitting on the floor, okay? We're not going to use chairs. Bring uh, something to sit on if you're, you know, uh, but, you know, and fast if you want to fast. We, it's a good day to fast. Uh, this fast is referred to in the Bible in Zechariah 8.19, the verse we just read. The Mishnah Ta'anit lists five tra tragic events of, Jew of Jewish history that happened on the 17th of Tammuz. So I mentioned to you a few. The Talmud lists five dreadful events. So horrific were they uh, that on an annual fast was instituted. Uh, on 1313, before the Common Era, Moses descend Mount Sinai with the first set of Luchot, the tablets, inscribed with the Ten Commandments. When he saw the people of Israel worshiping the golden calf, Moses broke the tablets. The daily sac on 423 BCE, the daily sacrificial offering in the holy uh, and in the holy temple was discontinued. This was three weeks before the Babylonians destroyed the first temple. On the same time, the walls of Jerusalem were breached. Before the destruction of the first temple, and breached on 17 Tammuz, 69 CE, before the destruction of the second temple. So it happened in the same time. It's like having, it's like having another 9-11. Can you imagine a couple of planes will hit us again in the Pentagon and in in the tower, God forbid, on the same time, on the same day, at the same time and on the same day. I mean, that would be very shameful, isn't it? So this is happening with Jewish people. The difference is two different countries, but the same enemies of Israel. On the 17th, Tammuz 63 BCE, Apostomus, a Greek officer who ruled Israel prior to the destruction of the Second Temple, publicly burned a Torah scroll. On 17 Tammuz, an idol was placed in the First Temple by the Romans around the same time. The walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Romans in 69 CE, despite the courage of the Jews and the fighting in Jerusalem went on for three weeks until nine above, the Romans destroyed the second holy temple. Again, in the same time. 
Uh, and then we have the fast of Shiva Asarbet Tammuz, beginning of the three weeks. It's a period of mourning for the destruction of Jerusalem and the Holy Temple. So anytime after 17th of Tammuz, you can dedicate a couple more days to fast or to do other things uh, that resembles that commemoration. Uh, and these are the, the tragic events that uh, Mishnah Ta'anid mentioned. 17th Tammuz is a fast day from one hour before sunrise to sundown in remembrance of Jerusalem's walls being breached. 17 Tammuz is the beginning of the three weeks in which Jews follow similar customs as the ones followed during the Omer from the day following Passover until the culmina culmination in the morning of the death of the students of Rabbi Akiva. That's another tradition. Is the 33rd day of the Omer. Uh, such as refraining from marriage as haircuts and some other things. Uh, the three weeks culminate with Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av. So during those three weeks, Jewish people don't even want to die. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Ashkenazi communities refrain from wine and, and meat from the beginning of the month of Av, while Sephardic communities only do so from the beginning of the week in which the ninth of Av occurs. The morning continues until noon on the tenth of Av, the date on which the second temple's destruction was complete. The rabbis teach that all the sad events happen on Tammuz 17th. They teach that their own people play a role in their own demise. We are taught that the second temple was destroyed because Jews express hatred toward one another. That concept is called Sinat Hinam. I'm glad we don't hate each other here. I don't hate anybody. I love Republicans, Democrats, Independents, or the ones who don't care. I just, you know, I love everyone. I'm not, I'm not into politics anyway. I don't live by it. I'm, I just love everyone. If you, if you love whatever you love, I'm with you. It's okay. Uh, unless it's something that is harming you, then I have to tell you, listen, that's probably not good for you. You should, you know, reconsider to keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> the rabbis teach us that they treated each other horridly. They formed exclusive cliques and were exceedingly jealous. And they gossiped. That's why the temple was destroyed. The second temple was destroyed according to Talmud Babli Tractate Yoma 9b. This should teach us that we're not supposed to do the same in our congregation. Again, I'm glad we're not doing it. Oh, I love the teenagers, by the way, as well. Especially Antonio. Nice guy. He's probably better when he sleeps. Um, <laughs> Look at his mouth. It's like, you got me, huh? you got me, okay. Torah readings of last week, Shalach, and this week, Korach, are vivid examples of the consequences of those events. And as believers, we should not continue with that kind of behavior today. Not that kind of behavior. When we study Israel's, Israel's history, we'll find out that a lot of tragic events happened this month. 
There's a good bunch. I'm not going to mention all of them, but, you know, Noah sends out a dove for the first time to see the waters in the great flood. Uh, the massacre in Morgentim, Austria, Jewish community. The Jews of Toledo, Spain, mourn fall of temple. Their Christian neighbors attacked and massacred 4,000 Jews. Sparkling pogroms in other Spanish-Jewish communities. Uh, and 101 years later, this happened in 1391, 101 years later, Tisha B'Av, 1492, extinction of Jew, uh, Spanish Jewry completed with mass expulsion. That was the Spanish Inquisition. And then in 1941, the SS abducts hundreds of Jewish women and girls from their Katim, Ukraine, homes during night, rape and shoot them. 4,000 Jews of Bilistog, a ghetto, were shot. 1970, all Jewish property in Libya confiscated. 1312 BCE, Moses destroyed the golden calf. And the events that we just mentioned. Uh, let me see if I see another more recently. I mean, we have 1950, the Nazis and all the ghettos. 1567, Don Enrique, region of Brazil. Jesus decree that Jews are not allowed to settle in Brazil. Uh, 1644, Spanish Inquisition murders Spanish nobleman Don Lopez de Veray Alarcón, who converted to Judaism and is known as the Judá the Believer. Uh, 1826, execution and last victim of 182 year old inquisition. Let me see if I find something more recently. Lithuania, Germany, I mean there are many, many, many of them. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk a, a little bit about, there are 10 special haftarat that we're going to be reading. The haftarat changed. They, they, kind of skip the main topic, the main theme, and they move on to different, different topics. And, and all of this is to get us ready. Within the three weeks of admonition, we should read these portions of the Torah. And, and then we move on to the, um, the seven, um, Isaiah seven messages of consolation that we've been talking about every year. So the three weeks after the Torah is read every Shabbat morning, we read a selection from the prophets known as the half Torah, generally thematically related to the week's Torah portion. During the summer months, however, we read a series of 10 half Torah related to our national experience at the, that time of year. The three weeks from the 17th of Tammuz until the 9th of Av mark a period of mourning for the Jewish nation as we relieve uh, and lament the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans in 69 CE, it begins with the fast of the 17th Tammuz, when the walls of Jerusalem were breached by the Romans and reaches its climax with another fast on 9th of Av. When the temple was set aflame, many other tragedies befell us 
on that day as well. They have throughout this, these three weeks, drawn from the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah, tell of God's disappointment with Israel's faithlessness and the impending doom that will befall them if they will not mend their ways. The third week's selections from the beginning of the book of Isaiah opens with the words, the vision, Hassan, of Isaiah, son of Amot. Thus, this Shabbat is commonly known as Shabbat Hazan, the Shabbat of vision. The Hasidic masters teach that on this Shabbat, all the heights of the desolation, every year is shown a vision of the third temple yet to be built. And there you have the, the portions that we read. Those are the ones we're going to read this year. Remember, Shabbat Hazan is uh, Isaiah. Isaiah's uh, portion. And then we see the, uh, the Isaiah 7 messages of consolation uh, that we're going to see more carefully on the, the, the month of Av. So remember the events are there for you. Uh, we just move from Pesach, the Omer, Shavuot, nice uh, redemptive uh, 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 festivals. And then we move on to this kind of sad season. But at the same time, it's good for us to reflect. We're getting ready. Because when we move to Elul, uh, you know, we are moving uh, and getting close to Rosh Hashanah, Shabbat Shuvah, the 10 days of Yom Kippur. And then we move to Sukkot, Hoshana Rabash, Imani Azarit, and Simcha Torah, and we'll go back to the, back to the future, right? We'll, we'll, we'll make another circle, another spiral, and we're going up, up to heaven. So that's, that's, that's very, it's cool, kind of cool. I like that. How many of you like that? Yes. Good, right? Gra uh, this graphic is from Rabbi David Rosenberg. Some of you already know him. And this is the linear overview of the Jewish calendar. As you can see, he, he has the theory that there are two different seven weeks, 49 plus one day, 50 days period of times, uh, two 50-day periods within the Jewish calendar. The one uh, that started on Passover ends on Shavuot, and there's another period of time from Tisha B'Av to Sukkot. And those are uh, very meaningful uh, uh, prophetic meaning. Uh, you may ask, what all of this has to do with me and my relationship with my master, Yeshua HaMashiach. Well, according to Rabbi David Rosenberg on the congregation, from the Congregation Shuba Israel in New York, there is a connection, uh, and he can prove from the Bible of these events and events from the gospel regarding to the temptation of Messiah. According to his theory, Tisha B'Av was the day that Yeshua started his ministry, uh, so, namely, he was uh, baptized, or mikveh, that day, and he went back to the desert for 40 days and came back. By the time he came back, it was Rosh Hashanah, or, or almost Rosh Hashanah already. So, it, it's very, very, very interesting. We're not going to go through that today. But, uh, now, can we rebuild the temple in our days? I must leave this topic for another class. However, I can give you a few points in a nutshell. 
Just as the temple was destroyed through our ancestors' misdeeds, each generation has the capacity to take concrete steps to rectify those transgressions and thereby enable the rebuilding of the temple. As such, each generation in which the temple is not rebuilt is viewed as if it itself caused the very destruction. So we don't want to destroy it, right? We want to rebuild it. Talmud Yerushalami and Yoma 1.1 mentions that each generation has the capacity to rebuild the temple and if it fails to do so, is considered responsible for its destruction. Every generation then, in which the temple is not rebuilt, is to be regarded as responsible for the destruction. I'm repeating this many times because it's just unbelievable. In order to rebuild the temple then, we need to correct those flaws that led to its destruction. So, what we need to do to rebuild the temple? Not necessarily to rebuild the temple physically, but we can rebuild this congregation. Okay? How? Respecting each other. Improving our speech. Say no to Lashom Hara. And what is Lashom Hara? Anything that bad speech, anything that, you know, slander, gossiping, or anything that denigrates a person, any derogatory uh, speech that we say against each other, even though when you're doing it, mocking somebody or doing, you know, there's many things. We need to res- uh, respect the Torah. Yeah? How? By obeying the Torah. Developing and strengthening a positive outlook on life and fasting. Those are the things we can do to, uh, to improve uh, our communities and to rebuild the temple and never go back to that very sad time. And so we still have time to do it. I don't have 70 years old yet, but I can, you know, I can't, I'm close to it. Every person 70 years and that's it. (laughs) Kaboom, goodbye, adios. And so there's still time to do things. So be kind to each other. Be nice to each other. Smile. You know, there are many people who need that smile, that hug, that human touch, that human respect. You know, that, that is very important in our days. Very, very important. And so I'm glad that I had the opportunity to talk to you about it. Let's pray. Abba, thank you for your amazing love. Thank you for Yeshua, our Messiah, and these lessons of life that you've given us all the time. Help us to introspect during this period of time. Help us to improve. Help us not to fall into the temptation of the summer times. Help us to envision your visions. Give us your mind. Give us your words. May our visions be from you to help each other, to help others. Thank you, Father. B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen.